Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. At Igniting Your Faith, we strive to motivate listeners toward a full life in Jesus Christ by sharing the love and life-changing force of God's Word. This week, Pastor Fisher starts a series on encouraging your faith. Dr. Chris Fisher explains reasons to believe in today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. So this is the beginning of a series to encourage your faith. And it's uh, also a series to help you in conversation with other people to encourage their faith. Uh, We're in our small groups. uh, Many of our small groups are still meeting, and and some of them are addressing this subject. How can we reach out to others in this generation, this day and age, effectively? In an age in which the message of the church is being sidelined and mainline culture, uh, the secular culture setting it aside and not wanting to hear it anymore. And materialism, sort of the idea that this world is all there is, really dominating the way people think about life and the world and their future. And they live only for this world. They're sort of like Esau. Remember Esau, Jacob's older brother, who uh, he came to a certain point in his life, he was hungry, and Jacob said to him, you know what, you're so hungry, if you sell me your birthright, I'll make it, you can have some of this delicious stew I'm making. And Esau took so little thought for his future, his long-term good, the blessings of his uh, ancestors, of the patriarchs that God had specially chosen out of the world to know him and began to bring blessings to the rest of the world. Esau despised that for the sake of a cup of stew. In a miniature, that's a picture of what it's like when people focus only on this world and the riches and rewards that this world has to offer. They exchange long-term eternal rewards for a mess of pottage that comes and goes, right? The things of this world don't last. That's why Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and thieves break in and steal. Build up for yourselves treasures in heaven that can never be taken away from you. Build yourself up in the kingdom. Your long-term future, your long-term benefit. Put your eyes on that prize. You know, there are a lot of people out there who are actually hungry for God. And what you say to them, your witness, your evidence for God at work in your life can be the drop in the bucket for what God is doing to woo them to himself that finally makes that bucket tip tip over. The straw that breaks the camel's back of their stubborn resistance to the things of God. So don't despise your own story, your own testimony. Maybe you've noticed that our Discipleship Council has picked up this kind of theme of sharing testimony, and we've had folks who, like Gene, sharing ways in which God has blessed them or moved in their life or, or made them a blessing to others, and we're sharing these from, sun, uh, you know, like every other Sunday or uh, as they, they work out in the schedule. And that's not an accident. We don't just want a handful to, to do that. Each of you has a testimony, some place where God has been at work in your life, where you're an eyewitness to the evidence of God's reality. And we want you to figure out how to share that in an effective way so that when somebody listens to you tell your story, they hear 
the echoes and picture and wind of the living God coming through what he's done in you. And they might be drawn to that because Jesus is at work in you. So Hebrews focuses on this. And our key verse uh, for this is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, verse 2. Now let's think about the context for this statement for a minute. The book of Hebrews is written as a letter to the young Jewish church in some location, possibly Jerusalem, to attest to the finality of salvation and the greatness of Jesus Christ. Greater than the prophets, greater than the angels, greater than Moses. It describes the superiority of Jesus' priesthood to the Levitical priesthood, the superiority of his sacrifice to the sacrifice of animals and the old covenant law, and the all-around better promises we have in Jesus from those that are in the law. The letter intersperses these truths about Jesus with admonishments and encouragements to a people who seem to have grown dull or weaker in their faith. Look, look at for a minute with me at, at Hebrews 5, verse 11 to 14. The author says, we have much to say about this, and he's just been talking about Jesus as the great high priest, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Well, now just think about that, what he's saying about the church he's writing to. You no longer try to understand. You've grown dull. You need milk. You're like infants all over again. It's like you've regressed in your faith. He's trying to stir them up. And the purpose of that letter, to do that very thing, to stir them up. Come on, guys, wake up. I want to give you meat, not just milk. Solid food is for those, the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to discern good, distinguish good, from evil. You know, by now, they should have been mature enough for that kind of spiritual meat. Deep, important truth about God, Jesus Christ, and the Christian life, but infants. Isn't that just like us sometimes? We're feeling strong in the faith, but then we get distracted, grow dull, lose our luster and our shine for Jesus, needing to be stirred up all over again. And we regress in our ability to, to think about and defend the faith. Maybe doubts start to creep in and we let them take the headway in us. And before you know it, we've really stopped even talking to God much. We trusted in Jesus, but something or other led us to take over the steering wheel of our own boat. 
appreciated the wind and storm metaphor and, and the music today. Before you know it, we've steered out maybe into a storm or maybe into just calm water. We're not going anywhere. We need to re-surrender because we're stuck. We need a new pilot. We need to give the steering wheel back to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings who knows where the boat's headed, including when we steer it. We need a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to fill our sails. I have this beautiful picture my daughter Mercy gave me at home. It's Rembrandt's Christ in the boat up there on a significant place in the family living room. And it's beautiful because of the, the colors of the storm that Rembrandt has painted into it. Anybody picture this or know what I'm talking about? Get online if you haven't seen it in a while. A fantastic, vivid depiction of the disciples and their anxiety dealing with this terrific storm. And there's Jesus asleep in the boat. He's just waking up in the picture like, oh, what's going on? Why are you guys so upset? Because <laughs> he's not worried. Like he's the source of calm and peace in the whole universe. He's not the least bit worried about this storm. And then when he gets up, you know, of course the picture is, is just a snapshot of an instant in time, but you know the rest of the story. When he gets up, he rebukes the storm and it calms down and the disciples say, oh my gosh, who is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. If your life is a storm or you're in the doldrums, you need the master to come and say to you once more and say to those storms in your life or that calm you can't get out of, either A, peace be still, or B, let's get moving together. Put your life back in my hands. Will you trust me to lead you? We surrender to me all over again. You want a testimony of God's action in your life? There's no better place to start than surrendering yourself to Him, trusting Him, saying, Lord, I've been trusting me. It hasn't been going so well. And my life really starts to feel kind of empty. In fact, I feel more like Esau than Jacob right now. Like I've been sated with a couple bowls of soup and it's not really filling me anymore. Pick me up and get me out of this place. Take over the boat. You know, the author whom the earliest written source says was Paul, and that was maybe 100 years later, 150 years later, one of the early church fathers writing said, Paul wrote that to the, to the, the young Hebrew church. He returns to the certainty of God's promises after this sort of, you're so dull. Come on, wake up. You guys should be better than this by now. You're the young Jewish church. How could you let yourself fall away and get so weak and so immature, surrendered what you had before? He returns to the certainty of God's promises, Christ's eternal priesthood, the superiority of sacrifice, the builder and owner of the temple, not a servant in it, a son, faithful in all God's house. And the latter part of the book is about how to live in response to all that. And the focus on faith then comes in chapter 11. But it really begins in chapter 10. Remember those earlier days. He's trying to stir them up. Get back to where you were. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. I'm talking about they got that Jesus was Messiah. They got baptized. They started following him. They trusted him. They're like, hallelujah, we've been saved. 
When you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, remember the persecution against the early church in Jerusalem, where, where the, 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 the outpouring of the Holy Spirit started on the day of Pentecost, and they rushed out in the street and started sharing Jesus as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and thousands turned to him and, and got saved and started following him, and, and yet then very quickly there was opposition. There was people resisting that. You endured in great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, you do, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he's promised. Persevere. You don't just get it because it was once promised to you and you say, hey, that's a great gift. I'm just going to set it down here and walk away. You get it because you persevere in your faith. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. You know, sometimes we, we've got folks who say, hey, listen, Jesus promised to come back. And where is he? He hasn't shown up. Maybe he made that up. Maybe that's not a real promise. Maybe he's never coming. And that short, in just a little while, he's coming back. But folks, you got to put yourself in God's shoes to get what that means. Look through the eyes of God at the, at the a timeline of history. Think about how old the universe is. You know, scientists estimate it's somewhere between 12 and 17 billion years old. And from the beginning, when it was first spoken into being, God had the plan that he would send his son into the creation to unite with it, to bring it out of mortality into immortality, and to bring those he made in his image into eternal fellowship and life with him forever. That's a long-term plan, right? Right? And Jesus showed up, what, 2,000 years ago to bring the fulfillment of the ages, the firstborn of the new creation, to live and die and conquer death and open the way for the, new, the kingdom of God to come on the earth. 2,000 years versus 15 billion years. It is a tiny blink of an eye ago that Jesus came and did that great salvation work. And if it says he's going to come any moment in the vast span of time, any moment could be tomorrow. Now, I know the things that have to happen. The scripture says that the man of lawlessness has to be revealed, that there, there needs to be a new temple in Jerusalem that he can go in and defile before the, the, Jesus will return to earth again, before the promises will be fulfilled. But the things pointing to his return are happening right now as, as uh, the people of Israel are being regathered from the nations, prophesied throughout the, the Old Testament and in the New. Jerusalem no longer trampled on by the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles fulfilled as the people of Israel starting to turn to Messiah again. And the Bible also talks about the persecution that will rise and increase against Israel. I'm never surprised when I read in the news how the, the latest information about anti-Semitism, anti-Israel sentiment, things that are aligned against that country, because the Bible talks about it all over the place. It's part of what God is doing to bring to those people to the place where they will trust him and look to him and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
when they will see him again, when his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives as the conquering king. But hard times are prophesied for them before that's going to happen. So he goes on. My righteous one will live by faith. Here we're getting at it. Faith, are you trusting God? And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. God does not appreciate it when we stop trusting him. When we pull back and shrink back and say, uh, no, 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 I'm trusting me. I'm not going to let go. He does not appreciate that. He does not deserve that. That is a dishonor to him because he's God and we're not. And we act sometimes like it's the reverse. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. Now, here the author is turning and reminding these people of God like you and me, remember who you are, not who you were, who you are, because you've been baptized. You've believed in Jesus. You've trusted in him. His sacrifice on the cross is good enough to pay for all of your sins. Maybe you just need to turn and say, hey, I'm sorry, Lord. I've been living like I'm Lord instead of you. Please forgive me. I repent. God is gracious and merciful. He welcomes his children back when they've turned away and walked from the home and come back again. He loves to see them. We, are, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And now faith is confidence. That's the that, all that's context, by the way. That's just background. What time is it? <laughs> Good news for you is that this is a series, so I don't have to pack it all in this morning. <laughs> Do you have to go and preach somewhere, brother? <laughs> okay, okay. Brian is preaching like every other week at a church in Pottsville. Praise the Lord. You can go. <laughs> Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand the, that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Why did he please God? Because he had faith. He trusted God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you hear that? He rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, there are some intellectual arguments I'll get to in the weeks ahead about that first bit. By faith, we understand that God made the universe out of nothing. There's some brilliant philosophical arguments about those things. They're sort of like head games. Can you get your head around the idea that there was nothing and now there's something? And what caused that? 
Uh, so there's a whole bunch of philosophical arguments about that that various philosophers have developed and, and thought through and, and offered us. But our faith is greater than reason, though reason points to the reality of God, and we can get our heads around those things logically. Now, Thomas Aquinas is one of the great uh, authors of, of those. There's five arguments he came up with. I'm not, not going to go into them today, except to mention that he wasn't really trying to prove God existed with those arguments, as, as brilliant as they are. He had faith in God. He took God's existence for granted as basic. And then he was seeing, seeing how reason points to what our faith is with these arguments, showing how faith is confirmed by reason. But there's other evidence, evidence from eyewitness testimony, Thomas's skeptic testimony. I'm so glad it's in the Bible because many people are skeptics and they have a hard time getting their heads around the resurrection. And, and Jesus knew that about Thomas. I'm not going to believe. I have to put my hand in his side, in his, in his wounds, to know it's him and he's alive. And what did Jesus do? He accommodated to that. He showed up and said, check it out, Thomas. Here I am. Touch me. And when Thomas got that in his head, it blew apart his skepticism. He fell on his face and worshipped him. My Lord and my God, you are who you say you are the Messiah and the Holy One of Israel. We need that sometimes. You know, there, there's, there's the place of honest confusion and doubt that we need help with sometimes, and it's okay to say to God, I need help. Maybe you remember our, our former youth pastor's testimony and how he was an atheist, and he wanted to, uh, in, in desperation, see proof that Jesus is really the Son of God coming out of that Muslim background where that's blasphemy to even think about that. And he cried out, if, this is, if you're really who you say you are, stop this storm. And it stopped. Jesus accommodated himself to this little young skeptic and proved that he is who he says he is. And in essence, Remy fell on the ground and said, my Lord and my God. You remember that? You know, this isn't just biblical stuff. It's biblical. It's deeply biblical. It's rooted in the truth of Scripture. But it's still happening today. Evidence, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The evidence of your seeking him you know, it, when, when you set yourself on that path to say, I'm going to seek you, God. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Until I know your power in my life, I'm going to pursue you earnestly. Uh, this happened to me when I was just so, like, mm, dabbling in this and that religion and not, taking nothing really seriously until I came to the end of my ropes and, and somebody shared with me, You've, if you seek to know him and you earnestly start put your faith in him, and you start to read his word and talk to him, then you'll get peace. And, and as I did that, as I started to put into practice that thing, earnestly seeking to listen to him and know him, 
just by reading his word. You know what happens when you listen to God every day? You start to think God's thoughts. You start to get God. Have any, any of you who've been in this through the Bible in two years, our latest reading plan, maybe you've experienced this as we've been going through this or that chapter. You'll come to the place and you'll feel like, God, you're talking to me right now. I hear you. Your personality shining through your character, who you are as I'm reading the word. You can stir up your faith, friends, by getting back into the word, by feasting on the bread of life. Now, Jesus is the living bread, and he's given us more of that bread in the written word. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if you're starving spiritually, if you're thinking like you've withered away, you're only good for milk anymore, you've become an infant in the faith again, there's nothing better than get back into the Word and start eating that basic bread. Am I stepping on any toes? And God will bless you. It'll be like milk at first, and then there'll be meat that comes. You'll start to grow in your faith again as you talk to Him, you listen to Him, you perceive Him. The evidence of your personal experience of God. I began to hear the Holy Spirit talk to me. I was astounded one day when I got an insight into the meaning of a passage of Scripture I'd never gotten before, and I knew the Holy Spirit had given it to me. It's like, oh my gosh, God is talking to me. This is so cool. And He wants to do that with us every day. He don't want that to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. He wants you to be able to hear his voice and walk in him and trust him intimately, closely as your big brother, your best friend, your shepherd, your guard, your guide, your savior, your Lord, every day, every moment of every day. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and that's him. That's your testimony, your experience of him. And if you've experienced him, you're a credible witness to the people that you know in your life who don't know him because they know you. We've reached a day and an age when people turn in and on, online and they can watch anything and everything from the impossible made real because of special effects to phonies and shysters who betrayed their trust and they no longer believe based on the uh, testimony of somebody far off who, who may turn out to be a charlatan. But if they know you, and they know your life, and they see Christ shining out of you, because they know you, your testimony can have weight with them. Now, figuring out how to share that and when the right thing to speak is and, and when to ask the right questions and let the silence echo in them and stir in them the hunger for the eternal, that's all part of this. But the very fact that you've experienced God, that's the, an evidence of your faith that can stir and point the difference between life and death, between just this life and eternity, to somebody else who's starving and dying and who's dead in their sin and separated from God, his enemy. But seeing in you, Jesus made real because you're walking with him. Well, I have much more to say. Praise the Lord. He hasn't returned yet. <laughs> so by the grace of God, there will be another opportunity next week. <laughs> I want to just close with this. 
What are you doing to stir up your faith? Are you in the Word? Is, is the Bible collecting dust, either on the shelf or in your phone? Are you holding on to the steering wheel of your life, driving it where you want it to go, and wondering why it feels like God's not in the car, not in the boat? Well, you can give the steering wheel back to him. You can invite him to come in and be Lord again. Are you doing what God's already told you to do? Now, faith is sort of like a, a, a meal. Jesus said if you start with a little bitty faith, it can move mountains. Mustard seed, that's a tiny seed. But he gives revelation, and then he, said, he waits to see what we'll do with it. And if we're faithful with that, he's ready to give more. And, and so the writer of the Hebrews talked about those who are mature are ready for me because they are exercised in discerning good from evil. That means they've been working on that process, including discerning it in themselves, separating it out, purging it out of them, repenting, bringing their weakness to God and, and getting his strength, putting the word he's given them into practice so they're ready for the next word. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? This is the difference between the wise and the foolish man. The wise man who built on his house heard what he said and did it. And his house was built on rock. And the foolish man also heard what he said. <coughs> and he did what? He did not do it. And then the storm came and hit the house. And you know what happened. Built on sand. So, let's not have our lives be... <laughs> Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for being here. Your Holy Spirit, to stir us up. Lord, we want to mature and grow in you. We want to be people who've had our milk in its due season and are ready and feasting on meat growing in maturity, exercising discernment of good and evil in your definition of them, Lord, not the world's. who are becoming wise for salvation because we're walking with you, Jesus. We pray for the church. We ask you to strengthen us, deliver us, protect us, cleanse us, renew us, fill us, empower us, Lord. Come and breathe that wind on us again, Lord. We surrender afresh the steering wheel of our lives to you. Steer us in new directions of life and eternity, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for this great salvation. You are a great high priest. You're interceding for us every day at the throne of your Father. And you have conquered and called us to be more than conquerors in you. We bless your holy name, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Father God. Your plan for all eternity revealed in us. Hallelujah. We bless you, Holy Spirit, and we thank you for being here. We trust you to go with us. Amen. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. 
Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.